And welcome once again to another edition of A Plain Answer. On the phone line with us today is Dr. Liam Gallagher, Senior Minister of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Dr. Gallagher, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's great to be with you. You know, uh, one of the questions I have is, um, what is it like to be a pastor? And every Sunday you know that you have this uh, major delivery to make, uh, another sermon, and with all the prep that goes behind that, and uh, what's it like looking out at a crowd of faces and delivering a message, kind of a interesting subject today on the program? Well, that is probably one subject that is closest to my heart and, uh, and is the passion of my life and has been the concern uh, of my whole being, really, for now nigh on 45 years, mm. and before that was the goal of my life from about the age of 10 or 11. And so <clears throat> to, talk about, to talk about preaching is to talk about uh, where my heart lies. Mm. Um, I, I, preaching is, is C.H. Spurgeon said, it is the highest uh, calling to which anyone could ever be called. And that's not to denigrate other callings that people have in their lives, but it is to say that when you're in the pulpit, when you're preaching the Word of God, you're standing, as it were, between heaven and hell. You know that there are people there who, for whom the Word that you preach will either judge or justify, will either be the thing that uh, that seals their 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 impenitent un- heart for eternity, or will, by the grace of God, lead them to trust in Christ and so be mm. right with God and justified. So there's that great width of ex- of uh, impact that the Word of God has. Um, it dominates the life of a pastor. If you are if you're the only pastor in a church, a small church, and you're the only pastor. You'll have all kinds of duties to do. I've, I've uh, been in churches like that where I was the only employee, and uh, you, you have to visit the sick, you have to go around the homes, you have to counsel those who need counsel, you have to run the youth fellowship, you have to lead a Bible study here, and, and into the bargain, perhaps prepare three to four different sermons uh, a week. And in order to do that, you, you have to have a fairly disciplined personal life. Um, I was 22 in my first church. I had four sermons to prepare. They wanted me to preach twice on a Sunday, uh, once at a Bible school, which was an hour's lecture, on a Monday. And then, again, I had a prayer meeting and Bible study on a Thursday evening. So how was I going to do that and visit everybody and go to the hospitals and start things like a youth fellowship, which they didn't have before I went, like um, a door-to-door outreach ministry on a Tuesday night, which they didn't have and which I started, have a, a young people's club, which my wife started while I babysat on a Wednesday night. Um, how do you do those things? <laughs> <laughs> so, 
uh, I, I learned that the only way you do them is you work at them. You get up early and you start. You start with the text. You you do use all your languages that you learned at seminary, and you don't you try not to lose them. You uh, you carve out what the words mean, what the grammar means, what the text is saying. You look for the major prevailing idea that dominates the passage that you're preaching on, and you use that as your organizing principle around which you organize the, your thoughts about the rest of the passage, and that those become your your signposts along the way or your sermon points. Mm-hmm. And, and then when you've burrowed into the text and you've found out what it means, you, you ask yourself, now, how does this fit the storyline of the Bible? How does this the developing story from Genesis through to Revelation, the journey that's described between creation and new creation, from the fall to redemption, where does it fit on the trajectory of that line? Uh, then you ask another question, how does, how does what it teaches, what this text teaches, fit into the great themes of the Bible, the doctrines of the Bible? You know, does it what doctrines does it teach? Do I understand what those doctrines mean? Uh, uh, we call that systematic theology, how all the bits of the Bible come together to teach particular things about particular subjects. Um, and then really get involved in all of that, submerging myself in all of that, and developing some notes as I go along. And then letting it, letting it kind of churn away in the back of your mind as the week goes on, as you meet people, as you go around to the hospitals, as you do your thing, uh, and and in the pro- in that process, jot down from time to time those those applications that might come to your mind. How does it apply to people, to real people, in real jobs and real environments? Um, so, so that was in my first church, and that that really laid the foundation for my my practices, my my working practices, uh, beginning early in the morning and using my mornings, mornings which would begin at five and end at two, to uh, do my spade work on the text of scripture. Um, and that gave me a good start, I think, because I've never, I've never really ever moved from doing that. Now, that has some implications. That, one of the implications for that is I don't eat lunch, and therefore I don't do lunch <laughs> with people. People say they want to meet me for lunch. I usually say, no, I don't <laughs> do lunch. Um, I'll meet you for a coffee after 2 o'clock. Sure. I can meet you after 2 o'clock for a coffee or whatever, uh, but not until then. And that's almost an invariable rule um, throughout my throughout my life. Well, that that speaks um, to, that speaks of a lot of discipline. And I'm just wondering, how do you handle distractions that inevitably come in during this time of of prep from early in the morning until two p.m.? It must be difficult. So I, I discourage people from phoning me then or calling me at that during that time. I try not to read emails. Now, I didn't have that problem, you'll understand, 44 years ago, but <laughs> there, <laughs> there were no emails. So I, but I, I try not to get involved in, in 
in other things during that period. So that that period is is for prayer and meditation on Scripture. Because mm-hmm. I think my people need me to do my homework. I think they need that. They need me to do my homework because yes. when they when they come to worship on Sunday, they're expecting God to speak to them through His Word. So He's got to speak to me first before He can speak through me to them. And uh, so that that period is for them crucial. Now after two o'clock, I'm anybody's. You know, I'm there. I'm I'm available for for people, um, and they need to know that as well. They need yeah. to know that I'm as totally available to them as they need me to be. Now, fortunately, one of one of the things that I've found is that if you do an expository ministry, that is, if you preach through the Bible in chunks in books. Uh, for example, over a period of years, people actually learn to need you less. (laughs) And one of the reasons they're learning to need you less is that you are teaching them by the way you handle the Bible. Uh, They listen and they learn, and they learn to handle the Bible themselves. They, They don't realize that. They're learning how to read the Bible for themselves. And so when issues arise in their life, as time passes, their first instinct is not, I'll call the pastor. Their first instinct is, what does the Bible say? What have I been learning from the Bible? You know, what what have I learned over the last few years from the Bible? And they they revert to that, and that becomes the medicine they need. That becomes the, the uh, therapy that they need uh, to help them get through whatever it is they're getting through. And they might get in touch with me just to be sure that they've applied it properly, but, but very often they're further down the road towards um, helping themselves than, than they would have been at the beginning when I first went. Mm. I, it's been an interesting dynamic actually goes on there um, that I've seen over the years in different churches because I've had perhaps six churches in, in my mm. time. Um, and it's been good. They've all been very different, and uh, it's been good to see that worked out. Yeah, with different, you know, working class people, middle class people, upper class people, different places. Mm. Um, yeah. One question I have is uh, concerning the the minister and him getting burnout or worn out. And um, first of all, have you experienced that? And secondly, how does a minister? Um, deal with uh, that and 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 guard himself so he doesn't get all worn out. Well, I, th- I suppose one one answer is not to become too self-obsessed and keep asking yourself, "Am I getting worn worn out?" <laughs> that's, a, that's a rather insensitive approach, but I think that's one 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 way of uh, of dealing with it. I yeah. I have never I've, I've made it a habit not to go to pastors' conferences. Uh, because I think pastors' conferences, when pastors all get together, they all get to feel sorry for themselves. <laughs> and they reinforce they reinforce the negatives. Um, but but the reason I didn't go to pastors' conferences was that I was in churches where I couldn't afford to go to any of them anyway. So maybe that was a, a blessing in disguise. Yeah. Um, I. Here were my priorities. I, I am passionate that, about preaching, and that's that's been the the driving force of my life. 
what, what I do to keep myself fresh is I keep reading. I read theology for fun. I read theology and church history for fun. I, I, I just... Reading theology makes me want to get up off my feet, walk around, and just praise the Lord. I, you, I might even look like a charismatic at times, so I praise <laughs> the Lord on my own in my study at the things that I'm reading. So read read for your own sake. Read what you can as much as you can yeah. for your own soul's sake. Have a diversion, and I would say your diversion, your principal diversion, should be your family if you have one. Yes. So making making them, I, I would say, under God, your family comes before church. Yes, yes. So I would I would make a priority of always trying to be there when the little ones were getting their baths and getting put to bed at night. I would like to be there and read them a story and give them a tickle fight, get into trouble for my wife for winding <laughs> them up instead of try, cooling them down. I, I just I think it's very important for for a minister to uh, devote time to his family and children in, yes. in a fun way and, and make that a distraction, if you like, from, from, from work. Mm. Because uh, for, for a number of reasons, one is that's your primary parish. You lose them, then you lose the qualification to be the pastor of a congregation, yes. basically. That's your primary parish. Those, those children... Uh, they need they need to know their father as the fun man that he is the, the, the man that they, they they look forward to him coming home they look forward to him because when he comes in you know mom has been looking after them all day she's she's jaded and tired you know she, and and she wants a break when you come in you've not been doing that you've got the opportunity to take over mm. and uh and and be the help and and uh and so on. And I think that's very important for yeah. the children. Because the, the other th- second thing I would say is don't talk about the problems in the church at the dinner table. Amen. Don't rehearse the problems you have with Mrs. Jones or Elder so-and-so at the dinner table. So the children grow up not knowing that there are any problems in your church. Sure. <laughs> our, our adult children, we, we are now far more, far more open about things that happened in the past with them now that they've grown up. Mm. And, uh, and they say, we had no idea. We had no idea. You know, they didn't know you were carrying that load. That's right. Yeah, they, did, they didn't know. And and uh, and I think they respect us all the more for it. You know, I mean, we didn't bring them up. We didn't bring them up not to think the church or to think the church was perfect. But we we did not want them. They did not need to know things that adults are meant to carry. That's right. You know, that's, that's right. right. We're the grown ups. We can deal with those things. You don't, you don't need your children to be your best friends. You need to be the adults when they're growing up. So I, I, I disagree with the view that, you know, you have your children, they're your best friends, you don't have any other friends. We mm-hmm. always had friends in our church. Yes. People that we came to know, they, I, I, we were friends with ordinary church members, just ordinary folks who were good friends and who sustained us as friends yes. over the years. And. I can't really think of any of those friendships that uh, we, we we may have had one difficult friendship from which we learned um, just to be better friends was what we learned to to people. Um, but by and large, none of those friendships ever caused an embarrassment or 
caused aggro in the church because the people we were friendly with did not go around boasting about the fact that they were best friends of the minister. That's right. That's right. Um, you know, uh, and you can very quickly assess people. I mean, you learn to very quickly assess. People. Oh yes. Usually, they're not the people. You don't become friends with the people who are all over you when you first go. You bet. <laughs> you know, um, and you just get to know folks, and then there's those that you want to get to know better, and you just get to know them better. Well, today we're talking with Dr. Liam Galger, senior pastor of Tenth Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia. Dr. Galger, um, just uh, maybe one minute. Uh, people are looking for hope. Uh, we have lit many pressures on us, and as a pastor and talking to a radio audience, uh, a word concerning hope. I think today there's a great lack of it. I think in this election cycle, we're we're feeling it in many ways, at a human level, at a political level, national level. And it's at times like these that we need to be reminded that the one leader that we can follow, the one who does give us hope, not just for next year and the next four years or the next eight years, but for all eternity, is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have hope in him because he rose from the dead. He is alive and he lives forevermore. And because he lives forevermore, then we can trust him and we can follow him. And we can have life now that lasts forevermore. And that is the best hope and the only sure hope that anybody will offer you this year and that you can find for yourself. Dr. Gallagher, this is a a unique interview in that uh, now you've had to transition to your car uh, voice-free to take this last question. And I know the audio will sound a little bit compromised, but here it is. When people come to church to worship God, uh, it seems that it's helpful if they're prepared ahead of time. How would you advise them to be prepared to worship God as as his people? That's a very good question. I I think the way uh, that we approach the Word of God sets us up, actually, to get the the maximum out out of coming to to church and, and listening to it being preached. And I think there are a number of things. First of all, I think the Bible says itself that we are to receive the Word with faith. So believing that it is what we say it is, to believing that what, what it says on the packet, it really is, that it is the Holy Bible, it is the, it is the very Word of God, and that we expect God to speak to us. And we expect what God says to have authority over us. We come believing God, believing His promises, believing His threats, uh, believing His uh, the direction that He gives to us, uh, I think that that prerequisite of faith is absolutely vital. I think the second thing is to come prepared with with a, a meekness of spirit. We're told to receive the Word of God with with the meekness of Christ. And that, what I think that means in practice is that I'm prepared to let God say to me whatever He wants to say to me, however gentle or tough or, or otherwise that that word might be and and i'm committed to not only listening to it but receiving it in other words that there are not some things that i will not let god talk to me about that's the first aspect there are no subjects that are off the table that i will not let god speak to me about mm. whether no matter how uncomfortable it is uh, that i'm open 
to not putting his finger on what someone once called the pus point of sin in my life. Yes. And squeezing. <laughs> and squeezing. <laughs> uh, that, that's sometimes what happens. I think that's, that's one thing. The, the second thing, aspect of the meekness, I think, is that there should be not only nothing I will not let God talk to me about, but also that that there will be no one that I will not let God speak to me through. So I may go to a church where I don't like the minister, or I've had a fallout with the minister, or I don't like some things that he does, or his kids have done, or his wife has done. <laughs> and we can project those things we don't like onto the onto the person. I think when we go to church, we've got to, in a sense, disengage the person from the role, the office of preaching the Word of God. Mm. And it's interesting that that uh, God's word can come to us through even unconverted people. Even a minister is unconverted. If he's preaching the word of God, that word is still the word of God's word of power and accomplishes what, what it's intended to do, mm-hmm. uh, even in the hands of an ungodly minister. And in fact, in fact in the, at the time of the Reformation, the Reformers made that very clear. The word of God has a power of its own. And we need to trust that power. And there's a sense in which, so long as a man is preaching the Word of God, uh, we can disconnect who he is from what he is. Now, that's not saying, that's, this is not uh, reflecting what we should do within the church context. If a man is out of step with God, or he's living in disobedience or whatever, then he needs to be disciplined by the church. But when it comes to the worship of God, I'm, I'm saying, you know, we don't, we don't like the fact that he wears multicolored socks or, or something. <laughs> you know, you know there's, there's, there's something that's not ultimate that, that is an issue that, we, that annoys us or whatever. But we don't, we don't allow personal annoyances to keep God from speaking to us through the instrument that he's chosen to use. Yes. And then I think, I think to perhaps just drawing from a number of scriptures, there's the idea that we come prepared um, with our minds prepared uh, and, our, and our minds ready to receive the truth and to be shaped by the truth of God's Word and therefore some preparation of heart, asking for the illumination of the Holy Spirit, recognizing, you know, there will be things said today that I don't understand, there will be things that will be perhaps hard to get my head around, so Holy Spirit, will you illumine me? Will you work inside me so that I can be open to hearing what you're saying. So a preparation of heart, really. So I think those three things, I'll do them in reverse. A preparation of heart, uh, a meekness that receives the Word of God, whatever it may be, through the, the instrument, but also um, whatever subject it raises. And then thirdly, faith, believing, expecting. So I could say to you, when you went to church yesterday, did you expect to hear from God. Mm. Well, if you went not expecting to hear from God, you're not going to hear from Him. But if you go <laughs> expecting, you will. It's faith. Amen to that. Well, thank you for that final word today. And uh, Dr. Liam Gallagher has been our guest. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. Well, today we've been talking with Dr. Liam Gallagher. Uh, he's from 10th Presbyterian Church in Philly. And um, I want to mention your website. It's 10th.org. It's kind of simple, 10th.org. You can go visit that and get to know uh, Liam a little bit better. 
Dear listener, please join us next week at the same time for another edition of A Plain Answer. <laughs>